I am blessed to be with you this morning. Um, it has been a difficult week for me this week. Um, one of the things that has been difficult on my heart, and it's hard to explain, but is, is uh, just the difficulty of watching the war unfold in Israel. And my heart for Israel has been heavy for the people of Israel. And, um, and I said in my email this week, I pray that the Lord returns quickly um, at the atrocities we've seen um, in this event in our world today. Uh, also, I lost my um, my friend uh, this week. Um, he died suddenly. He found out he had lung cancer on Thursday and passed away Monday. Um, and he was um, the head of our men's ministry in Holdenville. So I spent many of, of ministry with him and time with him. And um, that was a struggle um, this week um, for me. So we go to the solace of God's word, right? And understanding that the Lord brings truth to our hearts and minds. And he brings peace in knowing that truth as it brings us back to the reality of who God is and what he has done for us, the people of God. And what a joyous occasion it is to preach the word of God to you this morning. I want you to buckle in your seatbelts because we are going to discuss one of the um, topics that uh, I have a lot to say about. But we're going to begin at the beginning of the book of Mark here to introduce our topic of the Sabbath. Because I think it's interestingly enough that Jesus will call himself the Lord of the Sabbath. And where do we get that understanding that Jesus will call himself the Lord of the Sabbath? We must understand as we're preaching through the book of Mark what he is saying throughout this book. If you begin here in Mark chapter 1 verse 1, it says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we take that to mean, yeah, Jesus is uh, God, right? The Son of God, that title, the Son of God. But what does that actually mean, right? You read that and you go, the Son of God. Did Jesus, was he, was he born from, from God the Father? What does that actually mean? And so we have to go back to the Old Testament to understand that and to link that to the Lord of the Sabbath. So I'm going to do that for you real quick in our introduction this morning. We've had this kingly theme. Every, every sermon title in the book of Mark has been about the King Jesus. The King is coming to set up his kingdom. And I want to show you a minute where the title of the King matches the Son of God. And if we begin in 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 12, God has a promise for David, but also the promise is for us. And the promise to David is thus, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who will come, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
a eternal and forever kingdom. I will, and then verse 14 says this, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. So this is where we get a king in the line of David and the prophets pick up on this idea that there will be a son of David whose kingdom will be forever. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, the kingdom of God is here. I am the king who will establish his kingdom forever. Remember, David's kingdom did not last forever. Solomon did not walk in the way of the Lord his whole life. And at the end of David's line, they were exiled. And it looks like the, the, the end of David's kingdom because there was no king on the throne in Israel. But Jesus says, I have come and, and the kingdom of God is here. So this is where we get this king who will set up his kingdom and God will call him his son. This is the king who will be called the son of God. And so the understanding in the Jewish history, the prophets and all of them would think that the son of God would be equal to the Messiah. Psalm also picks up on this Messiah who will be king, who will be called the son of God in Psalms chapter 2 verse 2. The kings of the earth will set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's the Messiah saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. So again, in Psalm chapter 2, the understanding is there will be a king. God will call him his son. But by calling him his son, he would actually show himself to be equal with God. That's what, uh, that, that he was God himself. This is what John says in John chapter 5 verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, which we'll talk about today, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so we have this understanding of this kingly, from the Old Testament, this kingly son of God, who is the Messiah, who is equal with God. And then the book of Hebrews brings it all together to describe for us what this son of God actually is. Hebrews chapter one, verse one. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, 
whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And then verse 3, if you highlight that in your Bible, this is what the Son of God means. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is God. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Amen? So this we have to understand before we get into our passage of what he's talking about, the Lord of the Sabbath. Because Mark is pointing us back to the Old Testament prophets, how the Lord will fulfill his word and it will be the Lord himself who will come and bring about his salvation for his people. Mark is showing us that Jesus is not only king, he is Lord and he is God. Verse 3 of chapter 1. Let's go through it together. He says in verse 3, that's not, that's not the right verse. Uh, he says, you know, no, it is. Prepare the way of the Lord, Yahweh. Prepare the way of who? The Lord. The Lord is coming. The King is coming. God is coming. And he is Jesus. Verse 8. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That God will give himself from himself through baptism of the Spirit. Verse 11. You are my beloved son. We, we talked about that in the days of David in the Psalms. Verse 15. It is the kingdom of God. The eternal kingdom which has come is which he says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is here. God has come from heaven to earth. In verse 24, he is the Holy One of God. As the demons speak of who Jesus is, he is the Holy One of God. He has the power over the demonic. He has the power over sickness. And then he really ratchets it up in chapter 2 to proclaim who he is. Because he has the power to forgive sins. In verse 10 of chapter 2. After the Pharisees have said only God can forgive sins. When he shows that he has the power to forgive sins by raising this man that was lame and can be able to walk. And then last week in verse 19, he refers to himself as the bridegroom. As God refers to himself as the bridegroom throughout the Old Testament. When the Pharisees are asking about fasting. And this morning we turn our attention to the centerpiece of Jewish law during this time. It was the Sabbath. Shabbat. It means to rest, to cease, to desist. You see, the Sabbath ran from sunset Friday night to sunset Saturday. And the Jews were commanded to set aside this day as holy to the Lord. You understand all these concepts even in today's world as Hamas attacks on Saturday morning, which is in the Sabbath. They were hoping to attack them when they were not ready, and they did. The Sabbath was meant to proclaim Yahweh as the Lord of creation and time. He is the God who created in six days and the seventh day he rested. 
And they, like God, were to rest on the Sabbath day and not work. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 in the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it... You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner with his, within, who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the, the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. If you're wanting to understand a little bit more about the Sabbath day, you turn to the second giving of the law, Deuteronomy chapter 5. And it says this, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your ox, your donkey, or any of your livestock, or your sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath Day. So those are God's understanding of his rules. And I read them to you because what happens in this day, in Jesus' time, is what the Pharisees have built around God's law and his law giving a bunch of man-made rules to observe the Sabbath. So in a reversal of Genesis 50, 20, what God had meant for good on giving of the Sabbath day, they, as in the Pharisees and the Jewish people, had turned to evil. You see, the Jews had created a system of rules and rituals in which impeded people from enjoying the Sabbath and worshiping the Lord. And they were only concerned about not breaking the man-made laws. They had a long list of rules, including ideas that if you tossed an object of the air, it had to be caught with the same hand or else it constituted work. So if you tossed a ball in the air, you could toss it in the air as long as you kept caught it with the same hand. If you caught it with the other hand, You are in sin against the Sabbath rules, man-made again. No one could take a bath because water might spill onto the floor and you might have to wipe it up. So no one took a bath on the Sabbath day. Scribes could not carry their pens. Students could not carry their books. You could only walk 3,000 feet from your home or step 1,999 steps. So what would people do? They'd find a way around it, right? That's what people do, right? They find ways around laws. They would put a piece of wood 3,000 feet away from their home 
Or they would put a piece of wood right before the Sabbath, 1,999 steps from their home, and call it the doorway of their house so they could go another 3,000 feet. Yes, that's what they would do. In modern times, actually, Jewish neighborhoods are connected through ropes and cords to make the home surrounding them like one home so they can walk freely through the neighborhood without breaking the Sabbath according to man's rules. So Jesus confronts this type of hypocrisy, eventually telling him that he is the one who makes the rules. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. Amen? The king is the Lord of the Sabbath. Mark 2, 23 through 28. Now you, now you can read your scripture and be ready to read because we have introduced it completely. So you can stand up and let's read the scriptures as we get to Mark chapter 2, verse 23. Next week, we'll have the Sabbath again, and Cody will deal with that as I will be in Santa Cruz, California. Verse 23, one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What a text of scripture this morning. You can have a seat. Father, we thank you that you are Lord of even the Sabbath. We thank you that you are the great God who is eternal, that you make the rules, that you establish the law, And Lord, we thank you for Jesus who fulfilled the law perfectly. And we ask, Father, that you would examine our hearts to see, Father, um, if there is any works-based or man-made religion in our hearts. Father, help us to freely worship the King. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Lord, we thank you and praise you for this morning and the ability to open your word and hear your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't know if you've ever seen the show Undercover Boss. Uh, it's, it's quite enjoyable, actually. But it's a show where the CEO or the boss of the company, he, he dresses down, he changes his look, and becomes an entry-level worker in the same company. So um, they have these hidden cameras, and they interact with the lower-level people in the company. As, as you know, normally a CEO would come into a company, and they roll the red carpet out, and they, 
And they act like they're the low-level worker working with the people as in actuality they're the CEO, the head, or the boss of the company. And one of the great episodes was the CEO of Great Wolf Resorts. Some of you guys know it better as Great Wolf Lodge. You take their kids there in the indoor playground, uh, indoor Water park, that's what it is. And you spend a lot of money and you go and you go and your kids have a great time. But anyway, and he, she goes as the CEO of Great Wolf Resorts. They have all these resorts all over the world and she becomes a cub club guide. Okay. So she's trying to figure out how to wrangle kids in a daycare. And you watch her, you know, as this corporate CEO trying to, trying to handle kids. And she's totally out of her element. And then she goes to the front desk to be at a different resort in different part of the U.S. And she tries to try and check people into the Great Wolf Lodge. And she sees this line outside the door and she's trying to check people in. And she, she's frazzled because she can't get them in quick enough. And there's this huge line. And people are mad at, and, and it's hilarious. And then she moves to lifeguard duty where she has to figure out what the code, they, they say a code, AFR, everybody out of the pool, AFR, AFR. And, and it means there's poop in the pool. And she has to get that out of the pool. And so she's doing all the things that a normal day and operation of Great Wolf Lodge has to do. And then she becomes a server at the restaurant on the property. So she's working really late. She's having to do all these work. And and each stop, she hears people. She listens to people's story. And in one case, a worker needed to have surgery, but she didn't know if she could do the surgery because she didn't feel like she would have a job if she asked for the time off. And there's other workers that have needs and like one of them is pregnant. She doesn't know if she can take off time for the baby and another one works late at night and can't be with her kids and all, all these people she begins to meet and see the needs and the problems and so they, they, they have the big reveal and they reveal her, you know, at these places. And she goes and tells the workers that she's been working with, hey, I'm the CEO of the company. And she begins uh, giving people what they need. She begins to give the lady who, who needs the time off to have the surgery, time off to have the surgery paid, leave. And she ends up paying for one of the lifeguards flight school because he said, I I really want to be a pilot, but I I don't have enough money to go to flight school. She pays for his flight school. She pays for another worker's daughter's tuition for college. She gives a waitress a a six-month leave to have her baby. And so she... She sees the need and she begins to meet these needs. And and I couldn't help but think when Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, he comes to show his people, right? That not only did he create the whole heavens and the earth, but he, he set apart the Sabbath and gave it to man. He, he sets the record straight. And even so, Some of the people don't know who he is. 
He's revealing himself to the world that Jesus is king. He is the son of God. He's the son of man. He is the Messiah and he is God. Do you not think that because he is the Lord of all, he's the son of God, he can actually hear and meet your need? I think so. And I think we should rest in him. Amen? So this is the fourth of the fifth five questions the Pharisees were at, will ask in this section of Mark chapter 2. And they asked, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Essentially, they are accusing Jesus and his disciples of sinning by not fulfilling their laws that they made on the Sabbath day. And Jesus will clash with them, not on the rules, but who makes the rules, right? Who created the law? Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Verse 23, one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain and the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? This is our first point this morning. Worship is what God desires from his people. Worship, not religious duty. Worship is what God desires from his people. Again, the Pharisees are looking to find fault in Jesus and they ask the wrong question. And that, instead of asking Jesus, what should our Sabbath look like, Jesus? They accuse him of breaking God's law. Jesus was not breaking any laws. In fact, the law had prescribed people traveling to be able to have food to eat. Remember, there's no Bucky's at this time, okay? So if you're traveling long distance as Jesus and his disciples were, there's no gas station on the side of the road to get something to eat. In verse in Deuteronomy 23, 25, if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Meaning, you can, if you're walking through some grain, and you need something to eat, you can grab it and eat it. But don't take a sickle to it and go harvest, it's not yours. And so there was, there was provision for people that were traveling. Oftentimes they're not traveling on the roads that we would think. They're traveling in through farms and, and off tracks and in trails. And so they're going through these grain fields and Jesus and his disciples are needing something to eat, and so they grab some grain and they eat it. You notice, the Pharisees don't say anything about walking the 1,999 steps. Because the Pharisee had been breaking that law to see Jesus and his disciples walking. But they considered what the disciples were doing as harvesting or working to gather food, taking the heads of grain and eating them. So the man-made traditions placed upon the Sabbath had created this crushing weight upon people that instead of the worship of God, they were concerned with their religious duties. 
You see, the Sabbath was established in creation to remind the people that it was God who created the heavens and earth and placed them in order. So it was a beautiful thing. So in our day and age, David came up and talked about giving unto the Lord. If if we were to say to you, church, everyone has to give 10%, guess what? That would be a man-made law that we said you have to do. And it could become a burden upon God's people to have to give 10% than rather freely giving what God has given to them from a heart of thanksgiving and praise and glory and worship unto the King of Kings because he's worthy to give 10% or 12% or 20%. How glorious is it to worship God in giving rather than to just do a religious duty in giving. It's totally different. It's not even close. But here's the deal. God established the Sabbath in creation. Right, let, me, let me read it for you in Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And remember, it was good. It was good, and God rested. And so in the Sabbath day, it was the moment that mankind was to stop and rest from his work. Some would say, stop and smell the roses. God's beautiful creation and the ability to enjoy his beautiful creation. Okay, so Psalm 19, and we're going to have a day where we do this in California we're going we're gonna to stop and smell the roses. But Psalm 19 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiwork, and day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor there are words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the earth. He's talking about creation, their voice. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens and its circuit to the ends of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The heavens declare the glory of God. And sometimes when we rest and enjoy the beauty of God's creation, we can enjoy God himself in worship. But instead of seeing the Sabbath as a wonderful day of worship and enjoying God's creation through his rest, the Pharisees have made the Sabbath a list of do's and don'ts and religious duty that had taken away the heart of worship from the day. Mm. You see, the word worship comes from the old English term, worth-ship. It means to assign something value to give something worth. 
And as a result of our value and our worth comes obedience. But if we aren't careful, we can obey not because we want to, but, but we feel like we have to. And as a result of having to, our heart will grow cold towards God himself and our work for the Lord. Mm. So this is true of us today, right? We must constantly be realigning our hearts back to an attitude of worship and not religious duty. Let me ask you these questions, self-diagnose, okay? Why are you serving in your areas of ministry? It's a good question. Is it because you have to or you want to? Is your ministry more glorifying to you than it is Christ? If your ministry was taken away today, would you still worship Christ tomorrow? If the church said, hey, your ministry, it's great, but we're not going to do it anymore. We're not going to fund it anymore. Would you still come to church next week? I mean, I have to deal with that, right? As a pastor, I have lots of pastor friends who walk away from ministry or who, who have, uh, you know, more moral failures or what have you. Will they still love Jesus? Will I still love Jesus if I wasn't in this position? Those are questions you got to ask yourself. And Matthew, the parallel passage to this, Matthew 12, 7 says, And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You had have not condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So Matthew is telling the story, and he uses this text, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And he is saying, the Lord is desiring a heart of mercy, Towards the people rather than performing religious duties of sacrifice. Oh Lord, let us be a people who love Christ and live his mission. Not just live his mission out of religious duty. Mm. Verse 25, let's read it together. And he said to them, have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any, but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, but man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for man. That's our second point this morning. The Sabbath is made for man. I love how he enters into this section, Jesus does. He says, have you never read? He's asking the scribes and the Pharisees who have devoted them, their life to the scriptures, do you not read your Bibles? At least one person thought it was funny, that's all right. That was my mom, by the way, so <laughs> she thought it was funny. You can always look over there. If you're getting in trouble in something, she, she'll, be, she'll be into it, so that's good. That was their life, right? They were supposed to be experts in the law. And Jesus is saying, 
Let's look at the word. Let's open the word together and see what it says. And Jesus is doing more than what meets the eye, as he often does. Not only because he's given a specific example of Old Testament where the religious laws were superseded by human need, but also Jesus is placing himself in the same plane as David, as he is the son of David. We talked about the son of God at the beginning in the line of David, and he's pulling David up and he's saying, look at what David did. Look at what the son of man does. I am the son of David, the son of promise, the son of the king, the Messiah in whose kingdom will have no end. He's connecting all of those dots for us. And he tells the story from 1 Samuel 21 in which David is fleeing because King Saul wants to kill him and his men need food. So they come to the place where the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God was at the time. And David asked for bread from the priest. And the priest says, I don't have any bread, but I, what I have is the bread of the presence. What is that, right? Every Sabbath day, 12 loaves were placed on a golden table in the holy place. It was always present and it represented God as providing everything that he has to the people. God's provision to the people. Guess who will be God's provision to his people? Jesus who says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry as he will provide that which God's people need in their eternal salvation and he will be their sustaining grace. So the priest gives the bread of the presence to David and his men, even though the priest was the only ones who were supposed to eat it. So after the Sabbath, after it was seven days, they would put fresh hot bread in the holy place and the priest would take the old bread and they would eat it. And instead of taking the old bread for themselves, they gave it to David and his men. And that's what the Pharisees had a problem with. Instead of thinking of others, they were really thinking about themselves. In these laws restricting people from helping others, serving others, all while taking their own needs and doing what they needed to do. And this goes back to Isaiah, of course, all of Mark goes back to Isaiah 58, verse 13. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure, key on that, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight. And so instead of doing your own, what you want to do, your own way, your own man-made methods, and in turn, call the Sabbath a delight, joyful worshipful, and the holy day of the Lord, honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or take, talking idly, then you shall delight in the Lord. The worship of the Sabbath was meant to delight in God himself. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." 
So you have all those things, right? You do it for your own pleasure, but you need to delight in the Lord. And God himself, he will provide for you at the end of that verse. It says, I will feed you in this Sabbath. There is an understanding that you need rest. The Sabbath was made for man. Why? Because he needs rest. But in that rest, you are trusting that God himself will provide what you need. So six days of work, one day of rest. Well, I need to work seven days. Well, in that one day of rest, you are saying, I am going to trust that in six days I can work and God will provide for me all the work that I need to do in seven That's what it was meant to do. God is your provision. You are supposed to delight in the Lord, in his rest. And this is, is, again, trusting in God's work is what the Sabbath is actually all about here in the Old Testament. The people would would understand this in the Sabbath rest for the land. I know I'm getting into all this stuff, but you got to see this. It's beautiful. The Sabbath rest for the land is they would work the land for six years and in the seventh year, they wouldn't plant seed in the ground. Why? They would let it rest. And what would they do? They would trust that in the six years that God provided the food for them, that in the seventh year when they had no food and the eighth year when the, when the harvest would come and they would have no crops, that God would provide what they needed. Leviticus 25, this is what it says in Leviticus 25. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai saying, speak to the people of Israel. Say to them, when you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruits. But the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land. A Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. So you you can't take fruit and you can't sow seed. That's two years. You can't take anything in the year seven and you won't get anything because you didn't sow seed in year seven. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself and for your male and female slaves and for your hired workers and the sojourner who lives with you and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its youth shall be for food. The Sabbath of the land shall provide for you. God, the Lord of the Sabbath, will provide for you. So they had to trust God on the Sabbath day. So the Sabbath is you're not only resting or enjoying or taking delight in God himself, but you are looking forward to God's provision. God will be at work when you are at rest. And his ultimate provision in entering into his rest is in Christ. You see, the work of Christ who did the work on your behalf and you enter into his rest. This has to do again with the work, the Old Testament law having been fulfilled in Christ himself. And in this way, he is the Lord of the Sabbath 
as he determines the true meaning of the Sabbath, Paul writes this in Colossians 2, 16 through 17. This is why we do not partake of a Sabbath day. This is why we, we, we don't have our own Sabbath. This is why we don't give 10%, but we give unto the Lord what he has called us to give according to gospel giving, according to what Christ has done. We rest. We should have a day of rest, but it, it cannot be a law-based Sabbath on Friday night and Saturday morning or Saturday night till Saturday night. Colossians 2.16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. They're a shadow, they're a picture, they're pointing us to whom? Jesus. The fulfillment of the Sabbath rest. Christ himself. It was a shadow to come. I'll, we're actually going to do um, a pastor's roundtable tomorrow. Our pastors don't know this yet, but they're going to do it with me. And we're going to talk about all this, this connection to today and why we don't take the Sabbath. I don't have time to get into it. We have to finish. So it's a shadow of what to come. Verse 28. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So the King, he will usher in the ultimate Sabbath rest. The king will usher in the ultimate Sabbath rest. The Lord of the Sabbath, the one who created the Sabbath, is actually pointing us to the ultimate Sabbath rest. When God created everything, it was good, and he rested from his creation. Why? Because it was good. But man broke the world and his creation through sin. And as a result of sin... We have all the brokenness in the world. Therefore, God himself and came and did the work of salvation for this broken humanity and broken world that we may enter into his Sabbath rest. All right, so let me show you that in scripture. So the Son of Man title, again, is from Daniel chapter 7. We've talked about that in our previous passage Daniel chapter 7, this son of man will have an everlasting kingdom. He is in Colossians 1. He says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Paul is telling us who the Lord of the Sabbath is. The image of the invisible God All things created through him and for him. 
And Hebrews 4 implores the people of God to enter into the Sabbath rest of God. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. The work of God was finished for the salvation of souls. Then he rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven. And what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the Father. And he now calls the people of God, those who would believe in Christ, to enter into his rest. This is what Hebrews 4 says. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The rest of Christ. You see, the work of God was finished upon the cross of Christ. He did all of the work fulfilling the law so that you could enter into God's rest. It is God's provision for salvation. Something the Pharisees did not understand the beauty and character and nature of God himself. And Jesus will say this, Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, all who strive for righteousness, all who are trying to do it on their own works, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you yoke yourself to someone, you, 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 com- you, you have a, a connector. You're connected and two oxen pull on this yoke. They plow, they work together. And Jesus says, come in my yoke. Yoke with me. Come to be in Christ and I will pull the load for you that you may enter into the Sabbath rest of God for all eternity in the new Jerusalem, in the new heavens and the new earth, because he is the King and the Lord of the Sabbath. I don't know if this gets you excited. It does me. Because guess what? That huge load that you carry on your shoulders, that you have to do everything perfect. Guess what? You don't. You can humble yourself and say, you know what, Lord, I need you in my life right now. I cannot do it. I want to rest in your beauty and in your grace. I want to love you because I love you. I don't want to just do your work because I have to do it or because I I feel like I need to do it. I want to do it because I love and desire to be in your presence and I want to be in your presence forevermore. And see, there's a difference and this is so beautiful. And the gospel is beautiful because Jesus did the work and you can rest in the grace of God. Yes, we respond to the gospel in obedience. We respond to the gospel in, in works, but because we want to and we love our God. So we at the church, 
We love Christ and we live his mission. So join with me in doing that. If you've never been able to say, I need Jesus and I believe that he is the son of God. He is God eternal for my salvation. Would you humble yourself today and give your life to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're gonna enter into a time of response in which we prepare our hearts to respond to the Lord. The Lord may speak to you this morning in ways in which I cannot explain. This isn't a time to shut off or just shut your mind down. It's a time to actually respond to God's word and what he says in obedience to him. It may be giving your life to Christ today. It may be wanting to be baptized. It may be joining the church. It may be a lot of different ways in which you respond to God. It may be starting a new ministry. It may be just confessing sin, to be honest with you. But there's gonna be pastors here to pray with you and our worship team's gonna come up and we're gonna worship together. So will you stand up and we're gonna pray together Because Jesus is the king and he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the Lord of all things. We're going to ask him to be the Lord of our life in every area. Father, would you uh, just examine our hearts right now as the people of God that gather here at 23rd and Drexel. Would you examine our hearts to make sure that we align with the truth of your word? That we, Father, serve you not because we have to, but because you are the glorious one who is worthy of our worship and praise. Lord, help us to sing our, with our mouths because you are worthy of worship not because somebody is telling us to sing. Lord, help us to give because you are worthy of worship through our giving, not because somebody is telling us we have to. Lord, help us to open our Bibles because we want to hear from you because you're worthy to be heard from, not because we have to. Father, help us to go to you in prayer and trust in you Not because we feel like we need to, Father, but because we love you so much and we trust in you and we give you everything. Lord, help us to be people who who can separate our worship of you and our service of you. As a response to our worship, we will serve. Lord, give us the right heart. And if our hearts are not right, Lord, would you, would you speak kindly to us? Would you offer us grace in this moment? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's pastors down front. If you just need to pray with somebody, 